Thanks for tuning in to Farmer Theologian, a podcast designed to help you build deeply rooted practical theology. Let's get to work. Well, friends, welcome to a new episode, episode 30 of Farmer Theologian. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your continued support of this podcast and for the feedback you've offered. I particularly appreciate those of you who have offered suggestions for helping to improve the show. I think it already has uh, been a blessing and improved the show quite a bit. If you want to continue to offer suggestions, please do. Um, I always want to improve what we're doing. I just do want to offer a caveat, and that is uh, one, two caveats, I guess. Number one, uh, if you offer suggestions and improvement, please don't be insulted if they're not obviously taken right away. Uh, and second, if you offer a suggestion, a particular suggestion that the podcast can be improved with more music, with more sound engineering, just know that I will take that as you offering to help with that. You see, we don't have a lot of music. We don't have a lot of sound engineering on this show because I am completely inept, ungifted when it comes to music and sound engineering. So if you think the show needs that and you offer that suggestion, please know that I'm going to take it as you also offering that help. And if you want to help with music and sound engineering, feel free to hit me up. I would love to improve the show in that way. I'm just completely unable to do so. There are three particular ways that everyone can help the show, though, and I want to talk about those as we begin. First, subscribe. If you haven't already on the podcast platform you're listening to, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Second, rate and review the podcast. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a great review. Tell me what you love about the podcast. You can leave a negative review and what you don't like about the podcast as well. As long as you pay me five stars to leave that review, I would greatly appreciate it. And then number three, share the podcast on social media. My understanding is all these three things really help the podcast gain traction in the great and wonderful podcastopia, this this great land of podcasting. And so if you would do those three things, again, that subscribe, rate and review, and share on social media, I would greatly appreciate it. Okay, that's enough of my super fast opening speech. Let's get into today's topic. Today's topic is on the narrow way. I want to talk a bit today about why it's important that we understand the narrow way of doctrinal fidelity, particularly when it comes to the gospel, and why we need to understand that there are dangers on all sides of this. Now, why did I pick this topic? Well, one, uh, the most important reason to discuss this topic is the weightiness of doctrine, particularly the doctrine of the gospel or redemption. Um, All scripture is inspired by God. It is the, the truth of God that the God of the universe, the creator God has chosen to reveal to us. And so we should necessarily understand the glorious weightiness of that. And it should push us to want to rightly understand doctrine, to want to rightly defend doctrine, and to want to rightly defend ourselves from errors when it comes to the truth, particularly the truth of the gospel. But also to kind of put it in a negative spin or or the the negative reason that I see that uh, causes me to want to talk about this is we live in a time in a world, and by world I'm referring to kind of the political and media landscape that pushes constant polarization. We live in a world that is always pushing for reactionary responses and polarization, whereas the Bible calls for sensibility. In Titus chapter 2, it says this. I'm going to read from Titus chapter 2 from verse 1 to verse 8. As always, I'll be reading from the New American Standard 95, or as my brother Daryl Harrison likes to call it, the non-Arminian Standard Bible. This says, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, 
dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will not be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. This is an amazing thing. This passage tells us what we are to teach. It's it's Paul telling Titus, who he left in Crete, how to order the church, and he's telling them to teach the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And then he goes into this understanding of how that applies to older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. And in all of these, there is a call for sensibility. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. Those are almost synonyms. They they speak to the same idea. Uh, older women are to be reverent in their behavior. And then it lists ways that they would be irreverent. It's not to be those things, but to be reverent in their behavior so that they would teach the younger women, among other things, to be sensible. And then likewise, young men are to be sensible, dignified. All of these things, in all of these categories, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, there is a need to be sensible. Now, what is that, to be sensible? Well, I looked up the words used here and the various synonyms in BDAG, which is kind of the preeminent Greek uh, lexicon, and it speaks to the idea of being moderate or sober, of being restrained in conduct, self-controlled or level-headed. It carries the idea of being thoughtful or prudent to train someone to show good judgment. And of course, we know Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, which is the idea of restraining one's emotions, impulses, and desires. This is also what elders are called to be or must be in Titus 2, or Titus chapter 1. They are to be self-controlled and disciplined. All of these carry this idea of sensibility. Dear friends, the church all of the church, men and women of every age, of every state of maturity in the church are called to be sensible. The church needs for us to understand the godly virtue of and the need for sensibility. And this includes, this especially, I would say, includes how we think, talk about, and live in accordance with sound doctrine. And the Bible pictures that as the narrow way, walking the narrow way. Now, of course, this context is gonna that we're gonna look at here in a minute in Matthew chapter seven. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you're driving, just mark this down and look at it later. But the picture here is of a narrow way, which necessarily includes ditches on both sides. Now, wait, don't jump to conclusions here. Don't accuse me of saying anything I'm not saying. Before we get into the text, I want to be upfront about what I am not saying or promoting, because these are things that are um, pushed in society and often Christians accuse one another of these things. So let me be clear. I am not pushing or promoting third wayism. What is third wayism? Third wayism is the idea that you have an extreme in one direction and an extreme in the other direction, and that the right way is the third way that kind of goes down the middle. That's not what I'm pushing. The right way is the biblical way. Whether it's perceived as extreme or not is irrelevant. 
we so I am not pushing some kind of third wayism. Another way of saying this, a very similar way of saying this, is uh, the Hegelian dialectic. I'm not pushing that either. The, the Hegelian dialectic is the idea that you come up with a a thesis and an antithesis, and in the middle is the synthesis. No, again, truth is defined by Scripture and the God of Scripture, not by some humanly devised set of contrasts like in the Hegelian dialectic. A third thing I'm not pushing, I'm not pushing nuance for the sake of nuance. I would say that's a nuisance. I don't want to nuance everything to death. Plain truth should be stated plainly, clearly, and when necessary, it should be thoroughly explained. I'm not pushing any of these approaches, third wayism, Hegelian dialectic, extreme reliance on nuance. But what I want to encourage you today as we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 7 on what is the narrow way is to understand and and to encourage you to have a biblical understanding of the narrow way and how it informs informs us of doctrinal dangers on all sides. So what is the narrow way? Well, of course, we get this from Jesus's statement in the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He tells his listener, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few to find it. Now, we must understand that the primary application of this truth, of this statement, is the gospel of redemption. It is it is a soteriology statement. There is only one way, and it is a narrow way. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This speaks to the exclusivity of the gospel. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. There is an exclusivity to the gospel of redemption, and it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This, this also implies that there are myriad of alternatives or wrong beliefs. That way is broad, and many people will find that way. By contrast, the way of life is narrow, and few will find it. It pictures the path to salvation, the path to biblical fidelity as a narrow way. And dear friends, what I would say is that this illustration necessarily implies that there are errors on both or on all sides. If one could stray off the path to only one side but not the other, the path would not be narrow. If you could only stray off the path to one side, then there would be a broad path to the other side. But dear friends, because the way is narrow, because the path is narrow, it necessarily implies that there are errors on both sides, errors to the right and left. Now, listen to me, friend. I am not using right and left in the sense of American or political philosophy. Okay, that's not what I mean by right and left. But what I'm trying to show is that the illustration of a narrow path between two ditches means that we need to understand we have to be faithful to that narrow path and beware of errors on all sides or on both sides. Now, we clearly understand this with regard to the gospel. The gospel is, as I mentioned, there is a narrow way. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And we believe that on the authority of Scripture alone. That's the five solas of the Reformation. There's a a clear ditch on one side. That ditch is legalism or works-based righteousness. It is the idea that I can work to accomplish my salvation, or I can uh, do a certain set of things, follow a certain set of legalistic principles to merit my salvation or to merit the favor of God. Paul refutes this 
error, this ditch on that side in Galatians with regard to the Judaizers. He tells the, the, the Galatians that that is another gospel. That is not the true gospel. But dear friends, there's also a ditch on the other side. Along with the ditch of legalism, of workspace righteousness, there is a, a ditch on the other side of the gospel of licentiousness or antinomianism. Paul refutes this in the book of Romans. He says, shall we, shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? By no means. So there is a ditch on, on both sides of the gospel. There is a believing that we can be saved by keeping the law and there a believing that we can be saved by casting off the law. There is legalism and there is antinomianism. There's a belief that the gospel is you must do, do, do. And the belief that the gospel is you can do anything you want. Both of these are errors on opposite sides of the ditch. The defense against one ditch is not the other ditch. The defense against legalism is not antinomianism. The defense against licentiousness is not rigid rule keeping. There is not a defense against one ditch by being involved in reactionary thinking. The defense is not in avoiding one ditch so much that we end up in the other ditch, but it is in knowing and sticking to the narrow way. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The true defense or the, the way to stay on the path is by being aware of and diligently guarding ourselves against errors on both sides. Dear friends, I would submit to you today that you can apply this truth not only to the, the doctrine of soteriology, not only to the gospel of redemption, but to every doctrine. In every way, we must be careful that we are being sensible that we are being sound in our speech and in our thinking, not reactionary. And then we are guarding against falling in errors on both sides. We want to be driven by biblical fidelity. We want to be driven by being faithful to what Scripture describes, to what Scripture defines as how we live our lives, how we walk in faithfulness, not by reaction to errors we see so much so that we end up in other errors. Now, how do we put this in practice? Well, first, friend, let me encourage you, Pray for and cultivate sensibility. Pray for and cultivate sensibility. Take that uh, picture of uh, Titus 2, and if you are, are lacking in this area, find someone in, the, in your church or in your circle of Christian friends who is sensible, who is more mature than you in this area, and ask them to show you. Ask them to teach you. Pray for this. Pray for self-control. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It is something God-given. So diligently pray for that. Also, friend, let me encourage you to seek not only knowledge of doctrine, but wisdom. Knowledge is understanding facts. It is understanding a certain set of principles. Wisdom is how to rightly apply those biblically true principles, those biblically true facts in a way that glorifies the Lord. We should not be puffed up with knowledge, but we should have and seek wisdom that is based on a true knowledge of God's work. We should be seeking to move from knowledge to wisdom from understanding to discernment, from awareness to affirmative living, from recognition to repentance, from acknowledgement to action. I could go on from perception to practice. We want to seek to move from knowledge to wisdom, dear friends. Other thing I would encourage you in this, in, in terms of putting this into practice, is know where you're susceptible. Know where you're susceptible to errors. And, what, and how I would encourage you to think about this is, think about the things that you were saved out of and that's probably where you're likely to end up in the opposite ditch. Now, I don't want you to think, oh man, let me go back to, if I, if I was saved out of legalism, let me go back to that legalism so I can avoid antinomianism. That's not what I'm saying. But 
if you were saved out of a legalistic or fundamentalist mindset, you need to be careful against going into licentiousness in a reaction to the legalism or the fundamentalism that you were saved out of. We all need to be careful. The idea of what we were saved out of, we, we so want to avoid that. We so want to run away from that, that if we're not careful, we can run into the opposite ditch. Instead, we need to, we need to be concentrated on being faithful to what God has revealed, not reacting to what he saved us out of. Now, there takes some wisdom and discernment to understanding that, but I think there is a clear way. Like the fundamentalism and, and licentiousness is kind of the most common way that I see it. If someone who's saved out of a very fundamentalist church, they, they tend to go into licentiousness in the opposite way. If somebody was saved in a, a very worldly way of thinking, they tend to go into, tend towards legalism. Be careful of that, dear friends. Also, I would encourage you, uh, what doctrines have you recently embraced or, in a sense, been converted to an understanding of? Be careful in those doctrines that you're not swinging the pendulum in terms of how you think about and perceive those. As the Lord matures you, be humble enough, be mature enough to understand that your memories, your way of thinking about your old life um, or churches you went to before you were saved or churches you went to before you embraced a certain doctrine, your memory of them and your discernment of them may not be accurate. So, so be careful of just swinging, swinging that pendulum. Be careful of, of doctrines that you've newly embraced, not seeing the opposite everywhere else. One of the ways that I think this is common seen is in terms of ecclesiology. I often see people who were saved out of or, or, or come to an understanding of uh, a deep, rich doctrine of, of the church being for building up believers and and being focused on doctrine, they can, if they're not careful, kind of go into an ivory tower mindset where they just see everything that they see as pragmatism. They they were maybe saved out of a seeker-sensitive church or were led out of as they grew in doctrine out of a seeker-sensitive church. And so their response is to see pragmatism everywhere. Suddenly, if if your Bible, faithful Bible-believing church is putting something up on social media where, oh no, you're becoming a pragmatist. Be careful of things like that. Be careful if you've recently embraced a doctrine of being sensible in how you express it, in how you deal with those who disagree with you, and make sure that you're rightly understanding those things. You're being sensible in your approach. And then the last thing I would say to encourage you is we want to walk the narrow way and be careful of errors on all sides, is remember what Colossians 3.14 says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Colossians 3 is a great chapter. We're about to start working through this in Sunday mornings at our church. It is a great chapter for how to live in faithfulness. Colossians 1 and 2 are just filled with rich Christology. And chapters 3 and 4, as is common in the case with Paul, he, he changes gears and tells us how to live in light of that theology. And it's sending our mind on things above. It's putting off sin and it's putting on righteousness. And he says, in that section where he's talking about putting on righteousness, living in light of being resurrected with Christ, that beyond all these things that he says to put on is love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Make sure when you're seeking to walk the narrow way and be faithful in doctrinal fidelity on the gospel first and foremost, but truly on all doctrine, that you treat others and that you work through potential doctrinal disagreement with a focus on both clarity and charity, with a focus on both clarity and charity. Yes, we want to be true. We want to hold fast to the true doctrine, to the narrow way of biblical fidelity, 
We also want to be charitable in how we treat those we disagree with because we might not be seeing those disagreements rightly. And if we're not careful, we might be reacting to one disagreement, to one area of unfaithfulness or infidelity to faithful doctrine, so much so reacting in such a way that we end up in the opposite area of infidelity ourselves. We want to be careful of not being reactionary, not being polarizing, but sticking to the narrow way, walking in faithfulness, focusing on the narrow way, and treating others with love, which is the perfect bond of unity as we do so. Well, friends, that's it for today's podcast. I pray that this episode has been an encouragement and a blessing to you, and that we would all seek to live faithfully as we strive to walk the narrow way. Pray you're encouraged by this as we all continue to build deeply rooted practical theology.